This is Within Digital, a digital marketing podcast brought to you by SearchStar, a relocalized company. Hi, I'm Nick Livermore and welcome to episode two of Within Digital, otherwise known as Crimes Against Conversion. Uh, this week, I've got not one, but two guests, uh, Jarrah Hemant and Joe Johnston, both senior conversion consultants at SearchStar. How are you guys? They're on mute. They're really worried. good. Very well. Thank you. Surviving Hi. lockdown. Surviving lockdown. Excellent. Yeah. Um, you're here to talk about the crimes against conversion, uh, which sounds very, very exciting. And it is. Um, but first, uh, Jarrah. You've been a senior conversion consultant for a while. Um, pretend I'm an advertiser. I know I'm actually a marketing manager, but pretend I'm an advertiser. Um, why should I, as an advertiser, care about conversion optimization? So conversion optimization, also known as conversion rate optimization or CRO, um, or just conversion. There's, there's lots of different terms floating around there. It's actually, it's been around for about 20 years, ever since kind of the dot com bubble burst and, and the internet and the usage of the internet kind of exploded and people kind of, uh, went, Oh, we've got something here and competition, um, for people's, uh, use of their time and on their website kind of went through the roof. And since we started collecting data, essentially, from from all of that, conversion optimization has been there on the side of it. So it, it's essentially a, a process um, that we that we use. It's all about using qualitative and quantitative data to analyze in this research that we collect and it analyzes um, your website performance. Um, and so we under we work really hard to understand user behavior. We review the website and we try and find areas of that of that website and that user journey that we can improve it so in theory i as an advertiser call you up i go i've called i call search star up some some other you know other agency i don't know mainly search star um and uh, i go give me jarrah i want to talk to jarrah and i get jarrah jarrah goes hi and i go i want some conversion and basically you give me some conversion and my website starts performing better Mm, yeah that's, I mean, I've missed out a lot of steps there. Joe, I can see Joe's <laughs> on this call and Joe's like, there's some, there's some other stuff in there. There's but essentially, there. I call you up, I ask for conversion, you give me conversion and my website performs better. Yeah. The important thing about that though is that the knock on effect it has on, on everything else. So we are an advertising company and if we can get your website working better and improving that will have a knock-on effect on your um advertising performance so we'll um improve your cbcs and improve your quality score um similar with organic it will help kind of with your seo from that side of things anything social related it it, it has this knock-on effect throughout all of your channels and all of your marketing material um and so that's kind of one of the really important things about conversion optimization and why why we do it and why it's so important to integrate it within your marketing plan sounds brilliant i just give me some conversion <laughs> before we before we jump straight into the the actual crimes the, the most offensive crimes that we've listed i thought it might also be worth just explaining why we think they're crimes and, and how we're judging that so because the title of the, the podcast is crimes against conversion and it, it is a bit tongue-in-cheek obviously but it does kind of imply that there's a set of rules or maybe like ethics or kind of law to conversion optimization. Obviously, there's nothing set in stone. Yeah. It's very subjective. Um, and actually, the kind of the ethics of 
conversion optimization could be a topic for a whole other episode. But put simply, if you're going to bake it down into its simplest form, the only rule or principle really is to provide the user with a great experience. So we're looking at the biggest offenders that break those rules or break that one rule. Um, and the cool thing is, just to add a bit uh, about that rule, is that it's self-regulating. You don't need an independent verification because as like customers used to vote with their feet when they used to go to shops, now they kind of vote with their clicks. So, you know, how successful or unsuccessful you are at conversion design and optimization kind of shows in the results over time and how webs- yeah. how well your website performs against your competition. Am I So I'm right in thinking that there are many crimes against conversion, but today we're going to talk about, uh, as far as I can see, in the list you've provided, the handy list, we're going to talk through five biggies, if you will. Yeah. Um, if there was, were real crimes, these are the sort of things they'd sort of lock you up and throw away the key for, a bit like uh wearing socks with sandals or um yeah. <laughs> or hugging someone you don't live with yeah um so, yeah in, exactly. especially in an outdoor space so i mean i don't know if you i think we just jump straight into the crimes against conversion to be honest mm-hmm. that's what the people are here for that's what they're yeah, that's what they want to know about mm. so joe what's the first crime what's what's crime number one Crime number one is assuming that you are just like the user. This one's really interesting. I find this one fascinating because assuming that you're just like your user is actually a really common mistake. And the reason it's so common is because it's actually kind of built into the way we think and it's kind of built into our DNA. So just want to use an example. So we kind of tend to assume that people who are like us vote for the same party or voted for the same party that we did in the last election. So you actually, you might be rem- remember a time when you you were surprised to find out that someone who is a close friend or maybe a neighbour of yours voted for a different party or a party you didn't expect in the last election or in a referendum. And that's because we, we actually only expect people who are very different from us, either from a different country or a different sort of socioeconomic background or a different education. We only expect those kinds of people to vote for a different party. Um, and this has it's got like a so this has got a name in, in psychology and it's called the false consensus effect. And it's essentially it, what it refers to is people's tendency to assume that other people share their beliefs and will behave similarly um, when it's actually not true. So it's been proven that people tend to overestimate how many people will share their choices and values and judgments. So obviously, why is why is any of this relevant? Um, but people to, to conversion optimization, the reason it's relevant is because people will make similar assumptions about the online user experience so like for it to take an example online say you specific say you sell one really specific product to a a very specific target demographic um Mm -hmm. like you say you're you're selling like beard oil for young men (laughs) right i don't know or say you're selling a very specific product to a very specific demographic yeah and say you're in the marketing team of that brand and you happen to fall into that same demographic. So say, I'm a, I'm a young man. I also have a beard and I sell beard or, right, sounds perfect. Surely I can make decisions, design decisions on this website or decisions about the layout that will be reflected in my customer base. But that hasn't accounted for the different backgrounds that those people will have and the different experiences they have on different kinds of devices, different mindsets, different mental models, all these different things. And then if you think it's actually worse than that. So imagine that you then have a website which has lots of different products and they sell to many different types of demographics across different geographies. Yeah. The problem gets even bigger. And 
I then just to, to kind of compound that even more is that you have this issue of if you're in, okay, say, say you're a bricks and mortar store and you sell over the counter to people, you at the very least, you get to meet people when, well, in normal times anyway, you get to meet people face to face and you get to actually kind of talk to your customer base and, and meet your customer. If you're an e-commerce brand, you may never actually meet any of the people that you're selling to. Mm-hmm. And so there's, there's kind of this extra divide between who you are, um, who you are as a person and the people you're selling to. So yeah. If I put my advertiser hat back on, how do I go about starting to think about building up a picture of, 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 of who I should be, who I should be designing or tailoring my website experience to? So, so this is where that conversion optimization can be really, really helpful. And some of the process that we do a lot of is getting to understand that user behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the things you have as well, which, um, uh, is kind of a key part of everything is that when you are when you first have a new website as a new user you are trying to understand the navigation of a website alongside it um and 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 each user is different but if you are uh, the owner of the website or the owner of the business you use that website every day you have you have yeah. you know all its nuances you know all its little irritations they're kind of in the back of your mind now and and you just kind of know exactly how to go and where to go but other users don't um, especially new ones coming to your site for the first time. So on top of that, with all that understanding of how users behave differently, um, there's so much out there that we don't know. So that's where was part of the process is understanding. So we do a variety of different things that we do that. One of them is through user testing. So we get real life users to come and, and run tests with us so we can kind of understand how, how to do that. The other thing is... Um, customer mapping and, and profiling um, so getting mm-hmm. to understand um, and creating personas so getting to understand how how users end up using uh, or, or to give some idea of what those users yeah. might be and what their profiles and their backgrounds could be that are entering your site um, so am I, am I right in thinking that if if I if I run a big e-commerce website and I, I'm, I'm actually you know I'm trying to do it as properly as I can you, you might have some primary demographics some some primary audiences profile, yeah. but then you have a subset of secondary and I don't know what you call them, but perhaps tertiary or whatever, whatever mm-hmm. you would call them. Those you have a subset of different um, audiences that you actually use to inform your whole marketing strategy, essentially, yeah. and this this being part of it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, right. I think yeah. So and another thing just to mention on personas is that personas are personas are fantastic, especially if you invest a lot of time in, in fitting them out properly and making them detailed and yeah. believable and actually based on evidence rather than just conjecture. But they can also be really helpful when you have a decision that can't be made internally in, in a marketing team or if you have someone who's really high up who is making decisions that you don't believe are founded in evidence or they're, ba- they're just kind of doing it based on gut. So you can say, well, actually, you know, it's not just my opinion. We've agreed on this collectively. We've got this persona that is our target audience and we should be referring to that when we're making decisions rather than just our own opinions. And it can be useful for that then. And that's actually crime too, isn't it? Right. What a brilliant segue. Crime too. That is an unbelievable uh, link. So smooth as well. Number two, going with your gut instead of looking at the data. Yes, exactly. Or in other words, relying too much on experience, I think, alone to make decisions about a website um, and going with your intuition. 
So there just there really is no excuse not to have data, not to have Google Analytics set up and measuring correctly. There just isn't any excuse because because we have so much access to all this data. One of the things we have a problem with is almost too much data. But actually, you can define that. You can understand what your KPIs are and, and what really you should be measuring that's important. But from that, it's a case of making sure that you are you're, you're making sure that from that point, you've got all this data backed up, whether it's quantitative, qualitative. So whether it's uh, user testing as well as Google Analytics Insights, whether you're running um, A-B tests, all these kind of things that you should be doing to make sure that actually the changes that you are making to your site, to your to your strategy, to, to that part of your website is going to have a, a, a good impact. Um, and that's I mean, we do testing all the time for that very reason. There are so many tests that we do that uh, we think it's going to be one way and it goes completely the other. And we're so glad that we did it because we learned something out of it and we can go on and you know carry on with that test and do something different out of it. Yeah. And that's really crime, crime one and two in a nutshell, isn't it? Stop making assumptions about things like some of those assumptions might be correct or accurate to some degree. But stop making yeah. assumptions because you might uncover something you didn't already know. And number yeah. two is You've got all this data somewhere. If you track it properly, use it properly, and you will. I'd be astounded if you didn't then experience some sort of benefit from actually acting upon that data. Crime number three. Who's going to cover crime number three for me? I can kick it off if you want. Yes, please. Number three. So this is the primacy of creative disruption over user experience. So. This is really about when we're when we're talking about big creative ad campaigns that are so disruptive that they end up disrupting the actual user experience on the website. So the reason we can kind of understand quite easily why this can be a problem is because most ad campaigns, the, the, the core objective of them is to disrupt people's days and to make them think twice about a specific product or brand. If yeah. you've got a You've got a niche market that's saturated with companies that are all doing the same thing or more or less the same thing. The only way that a new contender in that market can be heard is is by doing something different and having a challenging idea. And, you know, you can see lots of challenger brands out there that do this really well, like BrewDog and, you know, you can think of a million others. But and it, it kind of makes sense. But the, the problem comes when you have a creative idea that has actually gone past just the top of the funnel awareness generation and has actually started to become a disruptive presence on the website itself. And this this tends to manifest itself most clearly in the way that the the language of the website is is written. So it will be really creative, flamboyant language. And you might see you might see a call to a call to action, which has absolutely no bearing on reality. So it could be saying, you know, the call to action says make your dreams come true or, you know, launch a new something and and it, and it has you know the actual the result of you clicking on that is going to be that you're you're going to be asked to fill in a form or you're going to be asked to submit some details or you're going to be buying a product and so it comes there, there becomes this kind of confusion in the user's mind as to what am i actually doing on this website am i buying a book or am i you know am i <laughs> investing in, in my future you know so it's it's about having this kind of balance between creative idea and then also being aware that it shouldn't disrupt the actual experience on the website so fundamentally what you're saying is look i've i've gone onto a website and i'm i'm stunned by the creative magnificence of this website and I, i've gone in through a very creative ad campaign and i've landed on a very creative website but the web developer's gone mad 
and and he's created this website that doesn't work that well like like it doesn't it's not a website that that you can interact with well and then the the copywriters run taken that bat on and 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 just sprinted ahead of the field yeah. and has created this user journey that is actually so far removed from what users generally would expect to to see on a website and yeah. that is ultimately only going to damage you know, some users might get it and might might be fine with it, but other users, perhaps a you know a, a large minority of users or even a majority of users, might mm. just find it's, their journey completely yeah. disrupted by it and not convert. And it's also it's it's about knowing where the job of brand or advertising has finished and the job of UX should begin. Because if you've got them to that website and they're almost about to convert, great, you've kind of you've achieved your objective of. of of getting them to begin with, you actually just want to make it as easy for them to complete that journey as possible. Yeah, we talk so much about typical design uh, in our line of work. And actually, the, the reason that that is so important is because if you have a typical journey, you reduce that sense of hesitation uh, within the user. A user just trying to work out what the hell is going on. Um, and, and the more you reduce that hesitation, the more you make that process as smooth and as typical as possible, the more likely you are to get them through the funnel into the point of conversion. Um, and so that's kind of where all that leads to. It's not to say that there isn't a place for creative solutions, ideas, innovation, but it's got to fit in with ultimately enhancing that user journey rather than kind of inhibiting it. Okay. We've done one, two, and three, and now we're on to four. And there might be some audience participation, I've been I've been told in this <laughs> in this point, but I'll find out about that soon, I'm sure. So number four is a particular bugbear of mine. Um, and it's number four, assuming the user journey is linear and the same for everyone. This is something that is about, and ultimately it is what it says on the tin. So it's websites are designed and the way that they are designed is that the journey is expected to be the same for everyone. And you can kind of see this theme here about, you know, assuming that, that all users are the same, assuming that everybody knows what, what you're going through. And this, this links into the same, same process here where we kind of expect that users would land on the homepage. They'd get some really good information about the brand and the company and who they are. They would then go through and start exploring the range of products within maybe a category page or, or a range of services that a person has to offer on that website, uh, followed then in links into the product page. And at that point, then they're invested in the brand. They kind of agree with, with who they are and what they do, and they just want to know about the product. And when they're happy with all of that, they then go on to buy. And that just isn't how the internet works. That's not, not what happens anymore. I mean, the amount of the how search has changed and how search has changed behavior, the amount of people that now click through and land on product pages, land on uh, all kinds of different areas uh, that, that exist within the, within the website that are not part of the same journey. Um, can you, a, a nice way to illustrate this is to, so Nick, can you think of the last time you made a big purchase online? And what was it? I've actually been prepped on this, um, and I, I, um, my, I believe my last purchase that I can remember was uh, a, a new phone Apple. contract. I got, ah, yeah. I got, I purchased myself an S10, a Samsung Galaxy S10, uh, just before the S20 Android. came out. I bought Android. I bought it because 
Um, it was a good price at the time. My S8, it almost bit in the dust. And um, frankly, the S20 is just ludicrously priced. <laughs> well, I, so you sounds like you're the kind of person that might have researched that a little bit. Do you remember how long it took? Yeah, what was the process of all that? I have researched it quite a lot. Um, <laughs> the process, I don't remember the exact process, but I did go to an awful lot of websites before yeah. making my purchase decision. That is, true. That is not a scripted um, answer, by the way, audience. That is an absolutely true answer. Yeah. And in fact, in fact, most interestingly, perhaps, my purchase did not happen through me clicking uh, a button or a link. I actually got on the chat and demanded a better price of EE and oh. went and 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 um, completed my purchase in the chat box. There yeah. we go. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Mobile phone contract hacks from Nick Livermore, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> so so yeah, the the, the, another reason that this is a problem and that some people assume that the user journey is linear is because it's actually their job to think that way. So you have people who within marketing teams are responsible for PPC. Some people are responsible for email traffic. You know, these are usually large marketing teams, not one man bands, obviously, but yeah. it, they, they're paid to think that way. And it's their responsibility to optimize that specific traffic alone. So it's no wonder that if there's no one that's actually looking at the bigger picture or someone that's joined up all those different dots, then yeah. they're going to be too fixated on those individual channels. And then, so yeah, there's, there's definitely the, the, the answer to this though, is to do the work of mapping that journey through those different channels. And that's actually a lot easier than what well, sounds like a really complicated and tedious task, but it can be one that's more achievable than you think. If you just get everyone in a room for a day and just hash it out. Yeah, and I think people need to recognize as well that on your uh, initial touch point on a website is not necessarily the homepage. So if you're looking at your product pages, if you take a look at them and if you were to land on that website um, and on that particular page, do you get a sense of who this company is? You know, is there any kind of reassurance on the page, any kind of branding or is it all about the product? And there needs to be this balance because obviously the search intent is for the product, but you need to kind of reassure and build this aspirational response within a customer from, from these landing pages. Um, and so we, we push this a lot as well with, um, looking at any kind of, uh, campaigns that are going through and, um, that, and, and different journeys as we we're talking about in different channels is what what is that landing page that you're sending people to and how can you optimize it for that particular journey what is that search intent understanding that particular user behavior that was that was a good one i i i'd completely forgotten that i'd uh, purchased my mobile phone through a chatbot through a chatbot or through <laughs> person go. chatting yeah so we're talking about different user Pretty journeys cool. and, and also how how the internet is changing and, and how the way that people contact and convert is different and that's that's another fascinating subject probably for a whole different podcast but um it, it definitely you're, 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 you're creating podcasts for you had two <laughs> two suggestions in these podcasts, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have an entire podcast series just on conversion optimization. Screw all that other rubbish about advertising and Google ads. And what? I don't know. Right. I'm, def- I'm definitely cutting that bit. Um, <laughs> crime number five. It seems to me that crime number five is actually a problem that we sort of experience across our business. Not not because we're doing it, but because we see people doing it and people come to us doing it all the time. Um, and that is set it and forget it. So this is a very common crime. It's becoming less common. I, I hesitate. I, to say I, that. I think I, so less common. Um, which is good. And we're going to try and weed it out. <laughs> but yes, yeah, so what this means is basically 
the old school way of building websites, and it's definitely, I, I hope it's becoming old school, is you would build, you would spend a lot of money once every maybe five to seven years on a new website. And it would just, it would be this continuous cycle of you would build a website. Everyone would stress about this project for maybe a half a year. It would finally go live. And then for about a year, it would be great. And then over time, it would start to degrade because knowledge about the CMS would get lost. People might leave the team who had a lot of the original knowledge. Refreshing it becomes an issue because it, obviously the costs are building up and it becomes quite a risky job to undertake. So nobody really wants to take the responsibility for doing it. The competition starts to overtake you because they've updated their website. And there's this whole nightmare scenario of, of rebuilding this website, which could be easily kind of um, overcome by just continually optimizing it over time. So thinking about it like a garden, instead of just going out once every three years and cutting the whole thing back, why not just prune it and keep it managed? And, and you know, and the, the other way, the other way of thinking about this is that, and the common reason I think that a lot of marketing teams behave this way is because they think that if they just do it once every five years, they're going to save money. So they think of it as a cost saving exercise. When in actual fact, if you optimize your website continually, it becomes more money or revenue generative. So you're actually, you're actually creating more budget than you would have if you were just, you know, uh, if you just left it to to sort of gather dust for five years. Yeah. So one of the one of the key things about this and um, is that conversion optimization is ongoing. You should always be looking at optimizing your site and learning from it. Um, and so get it into your head when you are coming up with this website is how to make it that way. How to ensure that you are uh, beforehand you're already starting to look at how optimizing how to optimize your site. And then when it's going live, once it's live, that's not the end of it. That doesn't mean that your site is done. Poof, good job, everybody, go and have champagne, and that's that that's it it's it's actually this is the point now where you can test it you have a live audience now on your website you can start doing heat mapping you can start doing user testing you can start pulling in the data to start finding those insights you can start a b testing to find out what things you can improve because when a website goes live it's not perfect it can still be improved it can still go on and that's where you shouldn't set it and forget it. You shouldn't wait five years until the point where it's kind of like creaking along at a snail's pace, just trying to get ahead. It needs to be built in, and and it's important, I think, for uh, clients when they're when they're uh, and when they're coming up with a new website that their developers are on board with this idea, um, because I think one of the problems that they have is is if uh, if if you are a developer and, and this website has been created, if you wait a few years down the line before you start changing things, people have left and you don't know what the history is of it and you don't know what the context is. And it just it gets more and more difficult to kind of then yeah. build up um, and make those changes. You know what it is? I think it's one of those things that it's so catchy that maybe it's just because, you know, you say set it and forget it. It rhymes and people yeah. love that. You know, <laughs> maybe we need to come up with an equally catchy thing like, oh, um, set it live and optimize that. That doesn't work, right? We can work on that. That's fine. But we need to, <laughs> wow. we need to find one that rhymes. But you know, we need to come up with a catchy term. Wow, yeah. the podcast was going so well until uh, Joe said that. I, you my know, favorite thing has been Joe's ability to compare uh, examples with of real life. You know, we've had all kinds of things in here, like pruning your garden um, yeah. and all kinds of great. Great, great real life examples to kind of just, pay off. Don't worry, my career aspirations as a rapper will not bear fruit. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, so I, I don't, I, conversion optimization isn't, isn't one of my, um, fortes. It's not something I've ever really done. 
um, on my own. Uh, so I found that incredibly interesting. Um, and I shan't commit um, one of those five crimes of conversion. Um, but just to recap slightly, I, I think so. My takeaways from this have been that, OK, don't make assumptions. Do use the data and use that data to influence your decisions. You also need to have your user your focus needs to be on your user. Don't make design choices based on what looks nice or aesthetics. Um, and if you do, make sure that that doesn't disrupt your user's journey. And then do keep on learning. Don't take a sort of siloed project-based approach to your advertising and your marketing and your and your conversion and, 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 and everything that goes with it. Just keep learning from the data you've got and, and using that to improve what it is you're doing and if you do all of those things and don't commit any of the crimes of conversion, you would hope that performance of your website and advertising goes through the roof. But anyway, thank you so much, Jarrett and Joe, for joining me for this episode two of Within Digital. Um, I hope you had a good time. Yeah, thanks for uh, having us. Thank man. you. Yeah. Cool. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. Bye-bye. Yes, bye bye. Bye bye. Bye.